We serve a God who's on the move. He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he just doesn't stay where you put him. You know, if we were another religion, any other religion, if we, were, if we were Muslims, our God would be so distant as not to really care what we do, the details of our lives. If we were Hindus or Buddhists, any time we ever went somewhere, we'd have to wrap our God in bubble wrap. We'd have to strap him into a car seat. We'd have to be very careful that our God would not fall or break because that would be a terrible thing for your God to break and shatter into a million pieces. Our God is not like that. Our God is on the move. He's a God who moves. And we see this throughout the the Bible. You know, it's it's not that we find God. It's that God in Christ Jesus has found us. And throughout the Bible, you see stories of God moving into people's lives. God showing up and telling Noah, hey, a flood's coming. You, you really should think about building an ark. God's showing up and meeting with Abraham and just kind of coming by at dinner time and having dinner with them and saying, hey, Abraham, you need to leave. You need to leave your family. You need to go to this place that I'm taking you. You've got to go. You see it again in the, in the New Testament with Jesus. And Jesus, he's just walking along the road and he spots Zacchaeus up in a tree. And then the story begins, and we see it with Paul and Paul, uh, uh, Saul on that Damascus road, and Jesus just showing up, and then his conversion story begins. But that's the God we serve. The God in his omnipresence is at the same time on the move. This, this is the way God operates. And for us, that can be a frightening thing, because sometimes we think, well, I can just put God in a, in a God box, I can just section off a portion of my life, and this is kind of my spiritual life. I'll give God Sundays, you know, one-seventh of my week. If I'm feeling really generous, maybe I'll throw in Wednesday night, you know, and, and that's good. And sometimes we can think we have this box, and we can, you know, this is my box, and I can have my secret sin in this box, and no one will know about it. It's just, you know, this is just for me to know about. But the thing about our God is he doesn't stay where you put him. You you think you can keep him on Sundays and Wednesday nights, but he doesn't stay there. He comes into those boxes that we think we've set up, and he starts tearing down the borders, and he gets into our lives. He starts messing with our Mondays. He starts tearing up our Thursdays because that's the nature of our God, a God who interacts and comes, who doesn't leave us alone, but comes charging in and says, I want you to look like my son. I want you to look like Jesus. And if you're a follower of Christ and we serve this God who is on the move, then you're not going to stay where you are either. Because we see in the book of Acts, God has made his church to move. He's made us to move. And there is this aspect of a spiritual journey that we're all moving from our life before Christ and then to our life with Christ and then ultimately ending in glorification when we are fully conformed to the image of Jesus. And, and that's true, but there's also this physical aspect of moving. And we, we see that throughout the book of Acts is uh, Barnabas, he's called from Jerusalem. Hey, you need to get up and check out what's going on in this church at Antioch and see what's going on. And we see Barnabas, he goes and we don't have any record of him ever living in Jerusalem again. That from that point, he's going on missionary trips and he's helping build and establish this church. The same thing with Saul, Paul. I mean, he's up in Tarsus. Barnabas goes and gets him and he comes down to Antioch and then he starts going all around too. Missionary journeys the rest of his life. We see the command that Jesus gives us in the Great Commission. That as you go, make disciples. So, so God is on the move and he's called us to be 
on the move as well. You know, we're in the middle of a really exciting series called At Our Core, where we're examining the mission and vision that God has given us here at Central. And we spent the past two weeks just kind of focusing in on this idea that God has called us to share Jesus and to impact people. It's not an optional thing. That, that, that God, God just doesn't give that as an option to believers, but he calls all believers to be involved in this process of sharing Jesus and at the same time intentionally impacting people. And we're going to spend the next two weeks really kind of fleshing out those big concepts into a workable plan and what that will look like. And, and part of that is, is the idea that everybody has a next step to take, that, that none of us have arrived and say, okay, I'm here. But we all have this next step to take. We're, we're all involved in this conforming process, and we are all still in process. And so along those lines, just imagine with me for a moment that there's a wealthy businessman, and he wants to start a car manufacturing company. And so he goes out, and he finds about 200 people. And they look like hardworking people. He's talked to them. They're hardworking. They don't really have any experience in the car industry. But they're hardworking, faithful people, and he hires them. And then he goes and he purchases all the raw materials necessary to build a car. He purchases aluminum and steel and glass and rubber and plastic and petroleum and copper and whatever other materials you need to build a car. He purchases all these raw materials. And he has these 200 people in this factory. He has all the raw materials in there. And he goes away. He says, all right, hey, I'm going to be traveling around. I'm checking on my other businesses and stuff. I'll come back and I'll check on y'all six months to a year later just to see how things are going. He doesn't give them any training. He doesn't give them any kind of manual for here's how you build a car. There's no blueprints or anything. He just leaves them to it with the raw materials and these people. And he shows up. Six months to a year later, and he asks, hey, how's it going? How many cars have you been able to build? And they, they tell him, hey, we're showing up every day. I mean, we're, we're putting in our shifts. We're working hard. Everybody's doing as, as well as we can, and we're doing what we think is right, and we're trying to build these cars, and so far we've got nothing. You know, we're trying, but we just, we, we, we haven't made any yet because they don't have a plan. They can agree that it's good to build cars, but if they don't have any idea how to build one, they can work really hard, but they're kind of stuck. You know, one of the things I love about Jesus is he gives us a mission, right? He calls all people, all believers to share Jesus and impact people, but he modeled a way that works for discipleship. He modeled a way that works. When he encourages the men he was leading to take the next step, he goes through four primary commands. And, and we see this progression throughout the, uh, the Gospels. And so this morning and really next week as well, we're, we're going to use these four chairs kind of as an illustration of, of uh, the, the basic commands that Jesus gives to to the disciples, and that we can use as well. So chair one here, connect. And chair two, to grow. And chair three, to serve. And chair four, to disciple. And we're going to walk through this in the life of a believer and kind of what that looks like. So this week, we're going to primarily focus on the connect chair and the grow chair. Okay, to do that, let's go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 Verses 35 through 39. John 1, 35 through 39. 
And as we look at this, we're thinking about impacting people. We're kind of asking the question, okay, the people who I'm trying to impact, where are they? Where are they in their spiritual life cycle and their spiritual maturity? And it's also a process of self-reflection as well. Where am I? How am I doing? Where do I need to, to grow? What's my next step? So let's go ahead and get started. John 1, 35 through 39. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said to them, come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, and it was about the 10th hour. Okay, so you can picture the scene with me, okay? You got John the Baptist, and John the Baptist, he's this unkept guy. He's kind of crazy looking. He's wearing camel's hair. He's unshaved. His, his hair's all kind of frazzly and everything, and he's over here, and, and he's saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the people, and you've got these other two guys. You've got Andrew, and you've got John, and they, they hear John the Baptist, and they're kind of wondering, okay, is this guy crazy, or is this guy for real? And so they just kind of start following Jesus, and they're, they're, they're kind of just watching where he's going and kind of following him, and Jesus notices that he's following him. And Jesus turns, and he engages these guys, and he says, okay, wh- what is it that you guys want? What do you want? And they say, where are you staying? What, the, what they're implying is, hey, we, we want to come with you. Teacher, we, we want to learn from you. We want to sit at your feet. We, we want to get some understanding from you. Perhaps they wanted to see if the claim that John the Baptist was making was true, but, but this is what they're saying with that statement, that we want to learn from you. We want you to teach us. And then, then the first command, this is kind of that chair one command. Jesus says, come and see. Come and see. This is kind of that chair one. Because when we know people who don't know Jesus, What is it that they need most? They need Jesus most. The the, the one thing they need most is to connect with Jesus in their life. And so sometimes, you know, we we can see people and they have a dramatically different worldview. They're living lifestyles, sinful lifestyles, all kinds, they're engaged in all kinds of behaviors. And you might look at that and say, this is wrong. How can they live that way? What is it they need most? Jesus. And so th- this begins to shape our thinking and how we approach those people. I'm not trying to just c- to convince them to live a different way. I'm not trying to convince them to adopt my politics or anything like that. I'm trying to tell them they need Jesus. This is what they need most. And so Jesus is engaging these people. He says, come and see. Come and see. And, and so they do. And we have this story here that... Uh, they met it. It was about the 10th hour, and it says that Jesus stayed with them that day. And the 10th hour, that's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And the end of the day was typically around sunset. So most think, you know, a couple hours that Jesus just spent with these guys this day, just talking with them. 
And, as we, and many speculate that he's probably asking questions of them and allowing them to ask questions of him because that's the popular way that Jesus taught. I mean, that was the popular way of teaching back in those days. It's just asking questions. And so we can imagine the conversation a little bit. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but these guys are seekers. They, they, they want to meet the Messiah. They're wondering, is John the Baptist's words really true? Is this really the Lamb of God? And so perhaps Jesus just engaged with them with a question like, so tell me, guys, what do you know about the Messiah? What have you heard about the Messiah? And perhaps they pipe up and they say, hey, you know, we've studied the Old Testament, and, and we know, according to Micah 5.2, that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And Jesus says, you know, that's right. It was foretold by the prophet that, that, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And you know what? I was born in Bethlehem. You know, Caesar at the time, he issued a decree, and everyone had to return to their hometown to, to be registered. And so, you know, my parents, they, they had to take us to Bethlehem to be registered. And, and my mom was really pregnant, and so that's, that's where I was born, right there in, in Bethlehem. And perhaps... John and Andrew, they pipe up. They say, wow, that's amazing. That's incredible. You were born in the same town as the Messiah. That's really cool. And Jesus says, yeah, well, hey, do you know anything else about the Messiah? Have you heard anything else? And they say, well, you know, there's this other statement in the prophets, and it's kind of confusing to us. We know that the book of Hosea tells us that out of Egypt, that the Messiah will come out of Egypt, that out of Egypt God has called his son. And now, now how could it be? that the Messiah is born in Bethlehem, but at the same time, the Messiah comes out of Egypt. That, that sounds confusing. And perhaps Jesus says, you know, it does sound like a problem, doesn't it? It does sound difficult, but I can tell you what happened with me. You know, when I was little, Herod issued a decree that all the, all the baby boys in Bethlehem, two years old and younger, that they were to be killed, they were to be executed. And so an angel, he warned my stepfather, and we had to move, and we had to travel, and we traveled into Egypt. And we stayed there for a while until another angel came and told my family that it was safe to return. And so we, I was born in Bethlehem, but then I came out of Egypt as I went back to, to the town of Nazareth. And perhaps for two hours or so, these questions just keep going, and this conversation continues to happen, a conversation that may have looked somewhat like this, where Jesus just proved again and again that he is the Messiah. And then you see the reaction. Look in verse 41. You see Andrew's response. I mean, he goes away from that conversation, and he finds his brother Peter, and he says, we have found the Christ. I mean, you can hear the passion in his voice, the excitement in his voice, because he knows we found the Messiah. We found the real Messiah. And this is the point. The people who, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, to get into chair one, to be that spiritual baby, what they need most is to connect with Jesus. They need that more than anything else. More than changing behavior, more than changing worldview, more than changing attitudes, the thing that they need most is Jesus. Why? Because he will conform the rest. He's the one who's going to bring about the change of behavior. He's going to be the one who brings the change of their thinking. He's the one. He's going to renew their minds as they begin to grow. What they need most is Jesus. And we have to remember that. Because sometimes we can get so passionate about this other thing and we can forget that, hey, these people are lost. 
The thing they most need is Jesus. And am I doing anything in my life? Am I posting anything on Facebook? Am I, am I doing anything that's going to hamper my ability to share the gospel with them? Because if I am, I, I got to re-engage my thought processes and how I live and how I seek to share. Because I don't want to put up some kind of stumbling block for something that's not necessary. If they're offended over Jesus, that's fine. But if I'm offending them by anything else, that's not. Along with this chair, one thing, another thing is important to note. To get fully into this chair, you know, you just imagine, okay, you come to a relationship with Jesus, and at that point, you're like a spiritual baby, right? You don't really know much. Yeah, I have a relationship with Jesus, but I don't really understand the Bible yet, haven't really read it. Never really been to church before. I mean, that would be totally new for me. And what do, what do I need now? What do babies need most? They're dependent, right? They're dependent on their parents and their family for everything. And so what a spiritual baby needs most to, to get firmly planted into chair one is to connect with God's family. You connect with God and then you connect with God's family. By the way, people in, uh, who are here just kind of looking to get to chair one and they're not there yet, the types of things that they will say are, are things like, you know, uh, there are many ways to God. There's a lot of different ways to God. I, I don't need God. You know, that's just, religion is just some kind of a crutch. You know, that's some kind of fairy tale. That's a myth. But you, you, by their language, you know, okay, th- this person, they, the, what they need most is to connect with God. That, or they'll say things like, I'm a good person, so I think I'll be okay. But once they've begun that relationship, then the next thing they need, what they need most, is to connect with God's family. And, and the Bible tells us this, hey, don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Some people think, ah, I don't really need this. God's family is a mess. God's okay, but his family, Wow. I don't know if I need that. But, you know, maybe it's inconvenient. Well, I'd ra- I'd ra- you know, I'm, I work hard during the week. I'd rather kind of sleep in on the weekends. This is an example of kind of a, a, a spiritual baby. And there's nothing wrong with being a spiritual baby, okay? There's nothing wrong with any of these chairs because we've all been in them. But it's what do we need? And, and so that poses a, a challenge for all of us. As we sit in our, in our pews each week, we, we sit next to people, do you know the people that you're sitting around? Do you know their names? Do you know the names of their kids? Do you know what they do? See, as, as the family of God, we're, we're to know people and to be known by people. And that's a great privilege of being in a family. That God has not saved us and adopted us just to live as an orphan. But he saved us and he's adopted us into a family that we're to know people and be known by people. And this is a glorious privilege of being in the body of Christ. And this is what Jesus did. You know, he he didn't say to to the guys, you know, to John and Andrew, and then Andrew goes and gets Philip or Peter. He doesn't just say, okay, hey, you guys are good now. You guys know me. You've connected with me. There's this relationship. Now you guys are good. No, he continued to meet with them. 
He continued to invest with them. They followed him. Baby Christians, they need to connect with God's family. But sometimes you'll know they're in this chair and you'll know that's what they need most because they'll say things like, you know, nature's my church. I feel like I connect with God better in nature than I do in a building. Or, or, or they'll say things like, you know, I've tried that church thing before and God's people are a mess. I'm better just me and God. That's all, all the Jesus I need is just right in my house. They'll say things like, you know, I'm busy. I'm, I'm too busy for that, but I, you know, I, I, my relationship with God is just me and him. That's a spiritual baby. Okay? There's nothing wrong with being a spiritual baby. The, the, the thing that would be wrong is if God's people who are more mature say, you know what, that's right. That's okay. You just stay right there alone with God. At least you're saved. And sometimes we do that. And we can pat them on the back and we can encourage them in their failure to grow, really in their sin and disobedience. Because what they need most is to connect with God's family, to understand what it looks like to love one another, to understand what it looks like to, uh, you know, you go through the one another's in the scripture and, and in the New Testament, and God continues to say, hey, love one another, pray for one another, respect one another, greet one another. I mean, you go through the one another, and there's all these statements And so this is what they need. And to not tell them that, to let them sit there, does a disservice to them. But, you know, we all know people like that. We all know people, right, who we believe they're saved. We we believe that they've connected with God, but for whatever reason, they fail to connect with the family of God. For some of you, maybe the next step you need to take is just, hey, I'm, I'm going to purposefully connect with the family of God. Maybe being here, like this morning, was a real challenge for you. Maybe it's not a normal part of your lifestyle and the way that you organize your week. The next step you really need to make right now in your spiritual life is just to say, you know what? I want to know people in God's family, and I want to be known by them. I'm going to show up. I'm not going to give up meeting together as some people like to do. I'm going to purposefully show up. And then that's the next step I need to take. That's going to help my growth. Okay, let's move on to chair two. Okay, this is the connect chair, connecting to God and connecting to God's family. The second chair is the growth chair. Okay, to grow. To grow. So, now they're a spiritual child. They've... They've connected with God. They're they're connecting with God's family. Now they're basically a spiritual child. Let's look at John chapter 1, verses 43 through 46. John 1, 43 through 46. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see, said Philip. In chapter one of John, there's this repeated phrase that you get uh, several times. It's in verse 29 and then in verse 35, and then we see it here in verse 43. It's the next day. 
the next day, the next day, the next day, that Jesus is continually going out. Jesus is on the move. He's not sitting still. He's engaging with people. And on this day, he sees Philip. And Philip, he's from the same town as Andrew and Peter. And most think that after that meeting, after the day before that, hey, Andrew meets with Jesus, and then he goes and tells Peter, and Peter responds as, as Andrew shares about the Messiah, that, that then perhaps that Philip was a friend, and they go to Philip, and they share the good news with Philip. Hey, we found the Messiah. We found him. And because the command to Philip is different than the instruction given to Andrew and John. And Philip he seems to already know that Jesus is the Messiah because Jesus gives him the command and he's turned around telling his buddy Nathaniel, hey, Nathaniel, this is the one. This is the one Moses wrote about. This is the one we've studied. We found the Messiah. Come on, come and see. And so the command here that Jesus gives to Philip is follow me. Literally to line up behind me, to learn from me, to join with me. And this is a higher challenge than to come and see. This is a a challenge of growth. Hey, I want you to learn from me. Invest your life in me. Connect with me. Join with me. I want you to learn. And it's great how the story goes. Then Philip, he gets this command from Jesus. And he turns to his friend Nathaniel. And he gives Nathaniel the same command that Jesus had given the day earlier. Come and see. Did you catch that? It's the same thing that Jesus had said to John and Andrew the day before. And now Philip has given it to Nathaniel, who's over here. And the thing that Nathaniel needs most is to connect with God. And so this is, this is, what, um, this is what Philip does. Hey, come and see. And if you continue reading through the Gospel of John, uh, you see that Jesus, he, he takes these men to Cana, he does the, the first miracle there where he turns water into wine at the wedding. He's got these five guys at this point, right? He's got Nathaniel. He's got, well, first he's got John and Andrew. Andrew gets so excited, he goes and gets Philip, or I'm sorry, Peter. They get Philip, and now Philip's excited, he gets Andrew. So he's got these five guys who he's, who he's pouring into at, these, at this point, the first five disciples. And and as you go throughout, you kind of follow this. That they, Jesus takes them and he performs this miracle at the, at the wedding in Cana. And he shows them there just how Jesus' commitment and his love and his power. And then from Cana, they, they travel back to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, Jesus goes and he turns over the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who are selling doves. And, and he shows there, he's teaching them about the holiness of God and the the purity of Jesus' passion um, for his Father. And then John 3, Jesus has that great conversation with Nicodemus. It's that Nick at night moment where this is how you enter the kingdom of God. This is how you enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what spiritual birth looks like. And he spent time with them, and he spent time talking with them. And and you have verse 22 in chapter 3. And it's an often overlooked verse, but it, but it says that after that, Jesus spent time with his disciples. That, he's go, that they're following him, they're going with him, they're seeing these things, and then Jesus just takes time with his disciples. Talking to them, modeling for them, asking questions of them, allowing them to ask questions of him, eating together, walking together, just living life together. That this is what's happening. 
And after the first 18 months of Jesus' ministry, uh, which had been spent in Judea, in Capernaum, Jerusalem, in, in different parts of Judea, then Jesus says, I must go to Samaria. Now, this is kind of the first mission moment in the church. Well, the church hadn't been established yet, but this is, like, this is, this is kind of preparation for the church to understand what missions looks like, to understand what going looks like, because no good Jew is going to Samaria. In fact, you would walk around Samaria. You don't have anything to do with Samaritans. No, no good Jew would be there. That, that country, that area, that province was out of bounds. But Jesus says, no, I must go to Samaria. Come on, guys. And so he models this for them. And all of this is happening so that the disciples can learn to grow. So they can, look, they can learn and understand what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And he's teaching them to grow and, and to make every effort to grow. And for those of you who are parents, you know how exciting it is to see a child who grows. They're in this chair, but you know what they need most. The thing a child needs most is to learn to grow so that one day they'll be a functioning adult, a functioning member of society, and they're here in this chair, but you, know, you get so excited when they learn to feed themselves. You know, it's a messy process, right? I mean, they first start trying, and there's food all over their face. And there's food in their hair, and there's food on the floor, and, and it seems like they get more food everywhere else, and they actually get in their mouth. But after a while, they learn, and then they can feed themselves. You know, it's, it's an exciting thing when your child learns how to walk. But it can be a painful process, because they're crawling around, and they're kind of wobbly on their feet, and they're stumbling, and they're bonking their heads and everything. But before long, they're running around the house way faster than we can chase them. And it's an exciting thing when a child doesn't need diapers anymore. And that can be a messy process too, right? But then they learn how to clean themselves. And it's an exciting thing. Growth is exciting, and for the person in chair too, the spiritual child, what they need is to learn how to grow. They need to learn what it looks like to how to have a Bible study. How, to, how do I read the Bible for myself? How do I feed myself? How do I pray? What does it look like to share Jesus with someone? How can I share my story? But they, but they need to learn how to grow. People in chair two, spiritual children, they may say things like, because the, the thing that characterizes spiritual children, when you think like a child, children think me, right? You, you never have to teach a child to be selfish. That just kind of comes naturally. And so, so spiritual believers in chair two you know they're in chair too because they will say things like, well, the church isn't really meeting my needs. I didn't really get a lot out of that message today. I like that, but I don't care for that so much. I hope they noticed that I was serving. Okay, people in chair too typically will say things that have a lot of I, me, my in there. 
These are my preferences. This is what I like. This is what I want. How is this doing for me? And what they need is they need to learn to grow, to feed themselves, where the focus begins to shift off of me onto God and others. But sometimes we can leave people here because this process, the growth process, is kind of messy. It's one thing to have a spiritual baby, and you can hold them in your arms, and, hey, they're kind of dependent, and, you know, just connect, just be here. That's your first step. But once they take that next step, and they've, they've been here a while, and they've connected, and they're faithful with that, now they've got to learn how to grow. And that's where things can get hard. And sometimes children, you know how it is, they can be stubborn. Think, no, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm past that. You don't have to teach me this. I've got this. I'm okay. But we got to come alongside and gently and lovingly encourage them and encourage their growth. By the way, one of the things about this spiritual life cycle is none of us arrive. Okay, we never get to the point where we, need, where we don't need to connect anymore with God's family. We always need that. We never get to a point where we don't need to grow anymore. Well, I'm done. I've learned all the Bible. I'm never going to learn. No, there's always more to learn. There's always more to apply. And so that, we looked at that last week a little bit. So how, how am I doing this year? What progress have I made? How do I look more like Jesus this year than I did last year? How have I grown? So we never arrive. It's not like we just check the box. Okay, I've, I've got that one done. But sometimes we, we, can get, we can stop here. And this can be the one that we're afraid to engage people with. Because sometimes it means telling people some things they don't want to hear. Engaging hard truth and saying, hey, you need to move along. And here's how. And I want to help you. And I'm, and I'm praying for you. Can I meet with you? See, our job is to impact people. And we kind of look along the line and say, okay, where am I? And as we ask the question, where am I? People say all the time, I'm my hardest critic. I'm my toughest critic. The fact of the matter is we all grade ourselves on a curve. Okay? We're not our hardest critic. We're our biggest cheerleader most of the time because we look at somebody else and we say, I'm better than them. Whatever chair they are in, however far along they are, I'm a little bit further. As we talked about last, there's no need for comparison, okay? No need for comparison. Jesus is not comparing you to the believer sitting next to you. He's only comparing you to his son. Have I conformed you into the image of Jesus yet? That's the process. That's the end result. And so as we kind of look where, where we are ourselves, we need to ask ourselves, but it's also helpful to ask someone who, who knows us and loves us. Say, hey, wh- where do you see that I am? And we'll, we'll get to chairs three and four next week, but, but this is kind of where we're going to stop today. And one of the things that we've looked at just as, as a leadership team 
is how, what kind of strategies can we put in place to best help people, lead people into chair one, into chair two, as this spiritual uh, life journey, the, the journey from a, a, a baby to a child to a young believer to a spiritual adult? What kind, of, what kind of processes can we put in place? And so one of the things that we've done here is, is we want to make it really easy for you just to, just to go out and connect with people in your neighborhoods and your workplaces just by we always have invite cards available where you're able to just say, hey, I'm really excited about this sermon series that's coming up at my church. Love to see you there. And hey, can I tell you about the difference Jesus has made in my life? And then from there, you know, they say yes, and you just kind of go in, and you just kind of share the gospel with them. But so that's one of the things that we've done. And for this chair, what we've kind of looked at is we looked at the way Jesus has made disciples. And you see, you see what he's done. Is he, he doesn't just, like, sit in one place. He doesn't just stand up and lecture to these group of 12. He just he, he takes them along with him. And they're, they're, they're going around together. And we looked and we said, okay, what growth opportunities do we provide here at Central? And we do really great with lectures and having teachers up front and facilitators where someone stands in front of a classroom and kind of, kind of gets things going. And that's important. And that's necessary for growth. We need people to provide instruction. But we said, hey, one of the weaknesses that we have is we don't really have an opportunity for where, like, the disciples, they just kind of sat down with Jesus, and they would just kind of sit around and and just kind of talk and talk about, hey, here's what Jesus did. Here's what I did, and what did you notice? What did you see? We 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 didn't really do a great job of having these kind of come and see kind of moments. And so one of the things that we've done as a leadership team is we've been meeting together just in our homes and uh, with our spouses and everything. We've been studying the Bible together and, and asking questions and uh, not really with the teacher, but just, hey, how does this work in our lives? How's this going to help us grow? What, is this, what does this mean? How, how does this help me be a better dad, a better mom, a better grandparent, whatever the case may be, a better child? How does how, how does this work in my life? And so we're, we were, we're continuing to meet to make sure we've got this thing down good. But in the fall, we're going to start offering some kind of small group opportunities that don't even necessarily meet here at church, but just kind of in people's lives, just to get to know people and to, to be able to ask questions of each other and, and to say, hey, how, how would this work in your life how does this work in my life? To provide opportunities where we can come along to people who, who maybe were a little more spiritually mature, but to really know them and to be able to speak hard truth to them sometimes and say, hey, I know you're trying hard and you're, you're doing a good job, but have you ever considered that the Bible says this? Now, how, does that, how, how would that affect the way you parent? Because when I learned this, man, that just revolutionized how I deal with my kids. And so things like that. And so we'll, we'll have those coming in the fall. So we're excited for that as it gives us opportunities to, to use more of our spiritual gifts. People who have the gifts of hospitality just saying, hey, come over. I'd love to host this. 
People who have the gift of serving saying, hey, I'd love just to be able to bring some food or whatever. And people who have the gift of kind of facilitating conversations and people who have the gift of praying as we pray for each other. But we're able to use our gifts to edify one another, to encourage each other in our relationship as we grow. So we're excited for this. You know, we serve a God who's on the move. And he's made his church to move. Not to sit still, but to come alongside, to share Jesus with people who need Jesus more than they need their next breath. And then to impact people so they don't just stay still, but that they move throughout the process. And that God uses them, too, to be disciple makers to impact people. So, none of us have, have arrived. We've all got a next step to take. And there's, there's little steps in here. You know, you, you become a, a Christian, you connect with God, you connect with God's family, and one of those little steps kind of in this area is, have you ever been baptized? And if not, and maybe it's kind of scary, like, I don't know, I don't really like the idea of going underwater, that kind of scares me. And you just trust, you know what, I want to publicly demonstrate to people that I'm aligning my life with Jesus that he has died on the cross for my sin and that he's risen again. He's defeating sin on my behalf. And I believe that. And I want the church to know that and to hold me accountable to that. So I'm going to do the hard thing, even though it's terrifying to me, I'm going to get baptized. And for some of you, maybe that's a little step you need to take. For some, it's just formally connecting to the church and saying, hey, I am a part of this family. I want to be a member here. Because I want people in my life who will know me and who will hold me accountable and who will pray for me. Maybe it's here, and, and hey, I'm, I'm going to really start reading my Bible. I've never read my Bible before. It's always been too scary for me. I don't think I understand it well. And as I read, I, I don't even know if it makes sense to me, but I'm just going to try. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to try to read my Bible. I'm going to have a devotion book with me. I'm going to journal, and I'm just going to take some notes. But I'm, I'm going to be purposeful. I'm going to try to grow because I want to invest in my relationship with Jesus. I want to make every effort to improve and and, and to to grow. Whatever your next step is, and hey, we all have one because none of us have arrived. I've got next steps. We've all got next steps. So what's yours? We'll come back next week and we'll talk more about chairs three and four and what that looks like here in the life and ministry of Central. But we're excited for what God's doing in the life and ministry of our church. And we're thankful that you're here this morning to worship with us and to encourage us. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is good to meet together. We don't want to neglect that ever. God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to know you, to be known by you, to be adopted into your family so that we can know others and be known by others. And God, as we look at what you've done in our lives, we realize that you are a God who's on the move and you have not called us to stay still either. And so we're just asking the question, who can we impact Who can we share Jesus with this week? And we recognize that uh, to do that, we need your help. So we ask this by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.